and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First and foremost, I wanted to let you know I was honored to be asked by the SCP Archives podcast to be a voice in their latest episode. The episode is titled Jasper's Hill, and I play a rowdy character named Jackknife. It's available now. I'll link it in the show notes. It was so much fun, and I hope you go listen. Okay, on with the episode. This first story is by Vanessa Kennedy, who you know from her incredible ghostly monologue tales I've featured on the show several times. If you enjoy those, this is in a similar vein. And Vanessa transports us to the Chaplin Opera House. The shock of the ordeal, quite literally, had knocked me from my feet. Before I knew what was occurring, I was drifting, no, falling. The stuffy, unfiltered air of the shaft blew through my hair and thin layers of my dress like a ferocious breeze on a summer's day. I could feel the knots that had been so tightly secure in my hair loosen and fall daintily. Reality weaved in and out in flashes. With every flash, I was pushed farther and farther from where I had come. As I fell, any strength I once had in my small body was whisked away like freshly blown dandelion fuzz. The truth of what happened would die with me. The last thing I saw before my eyes shut, for the very last time, was my hat drifting down to meet me at the bottom of the elevator shaft. For much of the year, The Chaplin Opera House plays home to aspiring actors, directors, set designers, builders, and of course, the many eager audiences. But this is only including in the living. Deep in the shadows lay the crumpled memories of the less fortunate and the dead. Not unlike the Palais Garnier Opera House in Paris, the Chaplin has its own spectral residence. Tall, ornate, magnificent pillars stand out front welcoming all to the show. But for some reason, these concrete columns mark the dimensions of their cell. The flamboyant combination of art deco and Roman Gothic decor can only fool and distract so many from the horrors that lay within the walls. Here is a special treat, an extra encore to the show. Let me show the rarely seen. First, let's go to the stage where not only the written dramas take place, this is where the tangled webs of people's lies, secrets, unrequited loves, and rivalries intersect. One such story is of one of our leading ladies, Eve 
Eve loved the theater, and the theater loved her. Their relationship benefited both of them equally. She would arouse lustful and wealthy benefactors and investors with her bewitching and beguiling performances each night. And in return, she would be allowed whatever and whoever she desired. But soon, she found out that one of her secret scandalous rendezvous would cost her more than she was willing to pay. One miscalculation, a jealous wife, and a loaded gun would be her ticket to an eternity here. Her engorged ego had stretched her neck, her glorious talented throat too far over the chopping block. One night, right before the curtain fell, as the leading lady took her last bow, a murderous, betrayed scream erupted from the audience, startling many. With calm, steadfast hands, a woman stared up at the glowing stage and fired. The bullet leaped from its chamber and collided with the soft folds of Eve's dress and corset, embedding itself in her heart. Red blood gushed and seeped over the light pink hand-sewn fabrics leaving a forever stain as Eve hit the stage. But like I said, Eve loved the theater, and the theater loves Eve. She will never leave this theater. There she is, standing on an empty stage for an imaginary audience, cursed to relive her last performance. If you are lucky enough, next time you see a show, look for her, right as the curtain is about to fall and the lights are about to dim. You might be able to see her before she dies again. Now look up, see catwalks and sandbags. Normally, these are used to allow for stagehands to move set pieces and to move around freely over the chaos of a production. But this is no ordinary catwalk. No. This is another stage for another deadly performance. If you listen carefully, you might be able to hear the hurried shuffle of worn shoes on the wood and see the rope sway as an unseen fight occurs overhead. Dominic, an unwavering fan, scurried through the streets with roses in hand. Tonight, his sweetheart was performing. Since notes and flowers he had sent had been undelivered, he decided to take the more personal route. He would make sure that these flowers and his love get to her. Since he was banned from entering the opera house using the front door, he decided to use the side entrance. Like he had assumed, the side door was unmanned and unlocked. 
He slipped inside and tried his way from the narrow hallways of the unfamiliar building. All he wanted was to leave his flowers in her dressing room. Then, a weighted hand latched onto his shoulder. A tall, burly hand that smelled like cigar smoke towered over Dominic. It was quite obvious that this wall of a man was going to take Dominic away. Dominic wriggled out of the man's grasp and bolted. He zigged around props and shelves of fabric. He ran steps leading away. Before long, Dominic stopped as he found himself somewhere far worse than he had been with the large stagehand. He was over top of the stage, the smell of kerosene from the burning stage candles, sweat from the performing actors below, and the overpowering scent of pressed sand from the nearby sandbags made Dominic's nose recoil. As Dominic stood stranded on the catwalk, his pursuer had caught up with him. Dominic's worn shoes slipped on the wooden slats of the catwalk as the stagehand unintentionally shook the supporting cables. Stumbling, the two men lunged, both intending to get Dominic off the catwalk. The cables swayed under the weight of the two men. Dominic slapped the other man's hand away as he tried to pull himself up, but the forward momentum of his swinging made his body roll, tipping the already uneasy structure of the catwalk. As the catwalk tipped, the stagehand was bowled into the support safety beams, but since Dominic was on the ground, his body rolled through the space. There was no time for anyone to catch Dominic as he fell. Dominic landed on the stage with a horrendous smack on the stage floor. His limbs were in unnatural angles. Once again, another pooling bloodstain seeped between the floorboards. Dominic's goal, that his flowers would reach his love, did come true. As the audience and actors reeled from the gruesome event, the flowers that Dominic had brought rolled to the feet of his lady. Come with me. It isn't just our stage that harbors tragedy. This elevator, for instance. We do have others that work, but because of a very persistent spirit, we cannot use this elevator. Every time someone goes in, they are pushed out by small hands. Like many new things, everyone is curious about them, and no doubt there is a flaw in the system. A small bug or defect that would need to get fixed. An elevator is marvelous and fascinating to small children. You push the button, the doors open, and a box will take you up or down. Right? Georgina and her stepbrother Elwyn were playing on the fourth floor, the same floor where our balcony boxes are. Dressed in their finest, Georgina in a new yellow chiffon dress and matching hat, and Elwyn in 
itchy dress shorts and a smothering child's dinner jacket, had got bored of the opera. They had stowed away into the hallway. They had arrived to the fourth floor via the mysterious suspended box with push buttons. To pass the time, and to feed their curiosity, they would push the button and run down the hallway. This game was to test how fast they were, and to see if they could make it to the doors before they opened. The first few times it was fun, but as the race and competition grew, so did Elwyn's hatred for his sister. He didn't understand why she had gotten a new dress. He didn't understand why he and his mother had to move. He didn't understand why she was in his life. He didn't understand how she had ruined his life. But she had. As he ran, he wanted his life to return to the way it was before. They bounded down the hallway as the glowing arrow pointing up flashed. She was in lead. She had always been in the lead. The doors opened, but something was off. The glowing lights from the elevator carriage weren't there. Georgina had tossed her head back to look at her brother that she had come to love. She heard the ding of the elevator's doors. She smiled and knew she won again. Maybe next time she would let him win. But there would be no next time. The elevator carriage hadn't been pulled up. It was still on the ground floor. Something had gone wrong. Georgina couldn't find traction between the lush red and gold carpeting of the hallway and her new shoes. And soon, there was no carpet below her feet. Elwyn looked down the elevator shaft to see the mangled body of his sister. Just as her new hat landed by her feet. Just as remorse and guilt swept over him, the pulley system started to roar. Pulleys spun, and the cables hissed, and the carriage started to rise. Elwyn watched as the metal box was lifted, carrying his sister. When her limp body was at eye level, Georgina stared at her brother with a beckoning smile. Nowadays, Georgina guards this elevator, preventing anyone from entering. It is assumed that she doesn't want others to meet the same fate as her. But I think she's making you play her game with her. The only way in is if you take a running leap. I think the moral of this place is to stay as close to the ground as possible. Because the higher you are, the harder you fall. Be careful. The floor is a little slick in places.
next story is by a newcomer to the show, Rin P. And they have for us story, Succulent. wasn't abnormal to have a different taste in food than other people. It's quite a normal thing, really. Some people have preferences for taste, for texture, for hot or cold. No one understood my diet, though. I just didn't like poultry. It was too dry. Red meat was too tough and chewy as well. I did love vegetables and fruits and all eggs of any kind. Many people still think that this isn't enough to sustain a full-grown adult. But that's just because very few people knew or needed to know. My main favorite food. The thighs were always the most delicious. Sweet, succulent, fatty meat. The breasts were always so tender and juicy from the amount of fat. The heart, liver, and tongue were delicacies, something I only let myself enjoy on special occasions. You see, the heart and tongue of a teenage girl were always as sweet as the honey in their voices. The tang from their screams left the tongue tasting so deliciously perfect that sometimes I just had to share it. I consider myself a very fine cook, my medium of choice being soups and stews. Oh, the vegetables you could pair with the soft, sweet chunks of muscle. The whole neighborhood clamored at my doorstep asking for my secret recipe. I just loved hosting the neighborhood dinners, and everyone loved when I hosted them. I'd invite the mothers, fathers, widows, and widowers to a monthly dinner, and they always came. They always wanted a taste of my delicious pork soup. Always thanking me for the lovely dinner and asking when the next might be. They would even offer to host the next time, but I'd insist. I loved hosting these dinners. I remember vividly the first time I served my organic liver stew. They ate it all up so fast, and even asked for more. I sadly said that, unfortunately, I hadn't anticipated their love for it, and had underprepared. It takes at least a week to obtain and prepare the liver I used. One of my favorite things to serve to the guests is my famous finger food, the ligaments and marrow 
were the secret ingredient here. Boiled in oil like fries, and smothered in marrow and simmered blood with my special seasoning mix. It was the guest's favorite appetizer of mine that I served. It was frequently thrown around the table that I should open a restaurant. I always laughed and waved away this idea, calling it silly. I cooked for joy, for myself and my neighbors. Opening a restaurant would take the fun out of it, and it would bring far more attention than it was worth. It was after one of these monthly dinners that I decided to treat myself to a heart of my own. I planned to eat the whole thing myself as a special dessert to congratulate myself on once again satisfying my guests. I removed it from the freezer to thaw, making it almost as fresh as when I carefully cut it from the chest cavity. It was the most perfect piece of meat that a body could provide. Essentially no fat, and still full of the sweet, succulent blood that had pumped through the pretty little blonde's veins. <sighs> I sautéed my favorite blend of vegetables while I waited for the heart to thaw. The sizzling from the pan reminded me of the sweetest scream I'd heard come from any girl's lips. So sweet, in fact, that I had decided to saute the lips into my dinner as well. So plump and pink. So soft and free of that sticky bullshit that so many little sluts wore nowadays. That's how I knew she'd be delicious. So pure. So beautiful. I took the eyes from this one as well. Such a pretty chocolate brown. They do nicely. Sliced up like hard-boiled eggs. And browned in the pan. I took a clean plate from my cupboard. One of my finer china sets. I couldn't plate something so perfect, so beautiful, on such an ordinary plate as those I use for my dinner guests. I placed the heart in the center of the plate, raw and dripping, with the most perfect red I'd ever seen. I carefully placed the contents of the pan around the heart. I took one of my best crystal glasses from the cupboard as well, filling it half with my favorite red wine, and half with some cooled blood I'd left in the fridge to save for later. I had already cleared the table from my dinner guests' bowls, plates, and flatware. I lit a candle in the center of my table placed my plate and wine glass, oh, so carefully, and returned to the kitchen to grab a perfectly shined silver fork and a spotless knife from the carving block. I sat in front of my plate, carefully placing a napkin onto my lap, 
picking up my fork and knife and cutting into the heart delicately. It sliced like butter and tasted incredible. It paired so nicely with the vegetables and other bits of meat, as well as the bloody wine. It dripped slowly from the corner of my mouth, and I quickly swiped it with my finger, licking it off. Nothing to be wasted. I cleaned my plate, even licking the residues off. I leaned back in my chair and finished my wine. I took the dishes back to the kitchen, extinguished the candle, placed all the soiled dishes into the dishwasher, and cleaned my kitchen until it was spotless. I slowly descended the stairs into my basement, opening the large freezer for my overstock of meat. She grinned as she saw me having no lips to stop her, and stared blankly, having no eyes to truly see. I picked up a lock of her soft, perfectly blonde hair, tying a little bow of blue ribbon around it, and cutting right above the ribbon. I ran the lock through my fingers, and inhaled it deeply. She smelled like apples and sunshine. It would do so nicely in my collection. I shut the freezer, blocking her view of anything else. I walked up the stairs to the second floor, entering my bedroom and going straight to the closet. I smiled, seeing the 50 or 60 other strands of varying blonde and brunette locks, each with a perfect blue ribbon lined so nicely on the shelf. I placed this perfect lock of gold on the open section of the shelf positioning it carefully. I scowled at the box on the floor. Matted locks of black and multicolored hair, each with a messy red ribbon. These were the disappointments in my collection. Whores and scoundrels, makeup-caked, altered beasts of girls. They angered me by being allowed to walk the streets. So I had to remove them but they tasted disgusting, like the dirty sluts they were. I looked upon my beautiful collection once more, feeling the perfect calm once again pour into my center. I stroked them softly, each with its own unique, lovely smell. I remembered each and every one of them. My perfect girls. I crawled out of my clothes and into bed, placing the newest lock under my pillow for the night. With this 
I slept sweetly until morning, until my next succulent meal. I know this episode is running a little short, so I thought I'd take the opportunity to pad it just a tiny bit with one of my favorite poems by A.E. Hausman. I couldn't find a date for when this was written, but he was born in 1859 and died in 1936, so sometime between then, I guess. This is called Her Strong Enchantments Failing. Her strong enchantments failing, her towers of fear and wreck, her limbecks dried of poisons, and the knife at her neck. The queen of air and darkness begins to shrill and cry, O young man, O my slayer, tomorrow you shall die. O queen of air and darkness, I think tis truth you say, and I shall die tomorrow, but you will die today. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much to my authors. I was going to say all my authors, but one of them is dead, so I guess thanks to him too. But thank you to Vanessa Kennedy and Rin P. For your stories, they were great. I hope you all loved them as much as I did. Again, sorry for the short episode. You know, every once in a while, I'm not good at math. I'm very, very bad at math. And every once in a while, I put together a couple stories. And for the most part, a lot of my a lot of my episodes have two stories. Sometimes I throw in three if they're not long enough. But sometimes I swear that the two stories I've picked are going to be long enough. And in my mind, the second one was longer than I remember. It was shorter than I remember. I don't know. Anyway, this was a, it was a big blooper on my part. Sorry about that. Uh, next week will be a normal episode. Next week might be a true stories episode, depending if I get it all together. I'd love if everyone's submissions could be in by Sunday the 13th, which is this Sunday. That would be great. Um, I usually give it kind of a day just to make sure there's no stragglers because I found some good stuff in the stragglers before. Um, so yeah, I'll probably wait around to see that. So it could be next week, could be the week after. We'll see. It'll be a surprise. I know you all love the True Stories episodes. I tweeted about it, but I got some doozies in the True Story episodes. Um, I got one that is non-supernatural that is... It, it's it's incredible. Uh, I have an update, sort of an update, more of a like tack on to the Whistler story from the Dark Reddit episode, the most recent Dark Reddit episode. So if you have not listened to the most recent Dark Reddit episode, I recommend listening to that before the True Stories episode comes out so you can hear this crazy, like I said, it's, I don't want to call it an update, but like a tack on to the story from a, a listener to the show, which was uh, so bananas that this person wrote in was like, I, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, you'll have to listen. It's great though. Um, yeah, I've been getting some real great ones for the true stories episodes. Again, thank you so much. I have only had 
one, no, two. I want to say two in this round um, where people have admitted to fudging some facts to make it more interesting. And I have politely told them, hey, I don't I don't do that. Um, so thank you so much to everyone for, I think, being honest. I think I'm just going to go with that. But I just want you all to know that just at least at least on my end, I am being completely honest that these are true. These are told to me to be true stories. I cannot control what's in people's heads, but I can filter out the people who fully tell me to my face that they lied. I don't know why they would do that. I really don't. Um, as for any baking updates, I made a creme brulee on Sunday. I made a couple. One of them's in the freezer and I'm sitting here thinking about it right now. Um, I haven't done much baking lately. I've, it's been a weird week. Uh, it's been a weird, like, I don't, I'm not very good about astrological stuff, but any of my astrological listeners and friends out there, are we in some weird transitional period? Because I feel like me and I think every single person I know almost, almost is in like a weird transitional point in their life at this very moment. And it's like, it's almost like in a purgatory of it's about to be transitional, but we don't know how or in what way. And this is, I'm talking like personal life wise, career wise, at least for me anyway, it's like in every single way, personal life wise and career wise. I don't know. Anyway, my, my wonderfully beautiful spiritual listeners out there, maybe you can give me an idea of what's going on. Cause I don't know. Um, I don't know much about my astrological stuff, like rising moon or rising sun. I don't know any of that about myself. I know I'm a Virgo and that's about it. Uh, so yeah. All right, you guys. Um, I will talk to you later. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you have an amazing weekend. Um, I wish all of you love and light and go drink water or I will beat you up. I won't beat you up, but like pretend I will just to motivate you. Um, yeah, that's it. Oh, wait. Hey, (laughs) I'm so bad. Go follow the show on Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Yeah. Facebook group. Um, you can follow me personally. Oh, ooh, I just hit my mic. Uh, it's a mess. It's time for me to go. I had a weird nap today. Uh, I felt I ate dinner lunch. Uh, I didn't have lunch, so I just ate dinner kind of early. And then I fell asleep. And it's 8 o'clock right now. And I just woke up like 40 minutes ago. Not good. I'm, my, my body is weird right now. Plus all the weird astrological stuff. I think there's something going on. I swear all of you amazing spiritual people are going to be like, there's nothing going on right now, actually. It's just you. It's just you, honey. Uh, okay. Go follow the show on all the stuff. Tell all of your friends about the show. Uh, please, please tell your friends to listen to the show. Please, 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 please. Um, go tell Spotify. Oh, you can always tweet at Spotify and tweet yeah, like at Spotify podcast and be like, we love scary to sleep. I love scary to sleep. And I think that it's great. And, um, they, Shelby has helped me sleep and hydrate and it's, 
Amazing. Uh, so yeah, tweet at Spotify for me. That'd be cool. Tweet at me. Tweet at the show. I, I retweet people a lot. If you basically mention Scary to Sleep, I will retweet you. Um, and uh, you can follow my personal one, Shelby B. Scott, but it's don't. Just don't. It's fine. You don't have to do that. Uh, I'm just a mess over there. Um, see you on the internet. See you next week. Uh, I love you. Go get some sleep. Sweet dreams.